Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. All right, Romans chapter seven, grab your Bibles. It's hot. Let's take this off. Let's get to work. All right, Romans chapter seven is where we are. Uh, Just a quick reminder as you turn there that... um, We will be in prayer and Bible study this Wednesday, starting at seven o'clock. There's five Wednesdays in this month, uh, but this is the fourth. So that means it is time for prayer and Bible study. Uh, I say it all the time, but I really, really, really desire you guys here at seven o'clock on the dot uh, because seven o'clock is when we are on our knees and some people take the the position of sitting and kneeling and we're we're praying corporately together. So if you can get here at seven o'clock, that would be great. And then we'll be on our knees Praying from 7 to 7.30 and 7.30, we will get in to the word of God. We're going to be talking about forgiveness. Anybody that is holding a grudge against somebody else, you should be here this Wednesday. Or maybe somebody's holding a grudge against you, you should be here this Wednesday. Um, and, and we're going to exhaust the scriptures and see what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. Um, but today we're in Romans chapter 7. I'm excited to announce that we're finishing uh, Romans chapter 7 today. We've been on a journey through the book of Romans. For those of you who uh, either you're a first time visitor or you just started coming here, uh, we go through books of the Bible. We just believe that that's how the Lord speaks to us is if, if we don't skip over anything, but we address everything that the scriptures have to say. And we started our journey in January, just going through all of the book of Romans. And we're now in chapter seven, finishing it today. Uh, I, I did promise you guys that we're going to take a little bit of a break in the middle of the book. So Technically, the middle of the book is after chapter eight, but we're going to do it after chapter seven. We're not going to be back in the book of Romans until the fall. So we'll take a couple of months off and we'll do some topical uh, series and some standalone series, some stuff that I think that the Lord uh, is pressing on our church. Uh, but today we'll, we'll be back in Romans and finishing it up. If you have a physical copy, your Bible, Bible should just went plop right open to Romans because we've been in it for a while. Y'all are millennials, so I know y'all don't have Bibles. Okay, hold up your Bible if you got a Bible. Let me, let me see them Bibles, the spiritual people. Hey, hey. Somebody held up their phone. I, I feel you. All right, Romans chapter 7. I don't know what that was. Pick me up in verse 7. It says, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known what sin I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said do not covet. And sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life. Again, and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin in order to be recognized as sin was producing death in me through what is good 
so that through the commandment, sin might become uh, sinful beyond measure. Really focus in with me on verses 14 to 25 and pick up the wrestle and the tension in the text. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but what I do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. Underline that phrase. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but the but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Can anybody identify with that? That's real right there. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts or the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. I want to preach today from the one word topic entitled divided. Divided. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, Father, we gather ourselves around your infallible word, your word that doesn't have error, word that does not have contradiction. But we submit ourselves to it today. Pray that today would not just be an informational dump. Last thing we need is just information. What we need is transformation, and we can get that through Paul's words today. So, Father, I pray, oh God, that you would help me to be faithful to this text. Well, unto me, if I preach not the gospel, may Jesus Christ be heard. Shut my mouth if I don't preach about Jesus today. But I pray, oh God, that you would make us alive together today with Christ because the gospel was proclaimed. It is in Christ's name we give all glory and all honor. Let everybody say amen divided in her self-entitled book in 1967 Joni Erickson uh, talked about the moment that she realized that she was paralyzed for life she was 15 years old when she got into a diving accident and the ambulance came and picked her up and rushed her to the hospital. It's a true story. She gets to the hospital and they wanted to know the extent of her injuries. And so they rushed her into an x-ray and she was between the x-ray and going into MRI when she was laying on the hospital cart. Totally unclothed, totally naked. And the reason she was naked is because they were trying to find out where the issues lied. And the only thing that covered her was a sheet. But while she was waiting, the sheet started to slide off of her body, leaving her partially exposed. And in her modesty, she desperately with her mind desired to take her arm and pick it up and grab the sheet to cover herself. But her body did not respond. You and I in this room can only understand Joni's situation 
by bits and pieces because the reality is most of us in this room have the activities of our limbs. You're able to flap. If you want your mind to tell you to flap your arms, you can flap your arms. If you want your mind to tell you to fan, then you'll fan or kick, then you'll kick. And so we don't fully understand what it's like to be paralyzed from the neck down. But Paul talks about something deeper today. The way that Joni set in the hospital and was not able to cover herself because her mind was telling her to do it, but her body wasn't. So it is with the believer. Here's the wrestle with the believer that your mind tells you to do one thing, but the flesh does the opposite. And this is the frustration that is described in the text, the agony over our sinful flesh and God's righteous requirement. That the agony in the text is that we don't know how, we don't have the ability in us to do what God has commanded us to do. And the reason you don't have that in you is because you are still in the flesh. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus Christ, the moment that he saved you, he swooped you up to heaven. I know you're like, now nah, I want to live a little bit more. I would rather, what would Paul say to live as Christ, but to die is gain. Because I would rather spend life with him. In fact, if he swooped me up the moment I sinned, I would, I mean, the moment he saved me, I would have never sinned again. I would have been sinless at that point, but the reality is he saves you from the penalty of sin, but don't get it twisted. He does not save you from the presence of sin. You are still in the presence of sin right now. In fact, all you got to do is look at the grocery line and look at the articles in the magazines and you'll see destruction and death and you'll see tsunamis and you'll see a government that is a highly dysfunctional. You'll see a corrupt government and you don't even got to look far to see a corrupt government. You can look at our own nation and our own laws and see corrupt government. Why? Because he saved you from the penalty of sin, but did not save you from the presence of sin. So in the text, Paul is going to lay out for us the wrestle. Now, now this today's sermon ain't for those of you who are self-righteous. It's just not. You probably won't say amen today if you've never sinned, if you've crossed every T and you've dotted every I. You probably won't say amen if you've never had to repent to somebody else and say, I did you wrong. I did you dirty. You might you might want to slip out with one of these. Y'all know we put the finger up. And so that makes you invisible. But we see you. You you might want to slip out now because I'm not preaching to you today. I'm only preaching To those of you in this room that know that you've messed up and you sit in the wrestle that Paul is talking about. If we could turn that air back on because I heard it clonk out. Somebody can grab uh, Lameek or somebody turn that air back on. And, and, And so those of you in here that know that you have a deep wrestle. Listen, the Paul Paul is going to comfort us today. And I'm comforted in the fact that I know that I am not the only one that have messed up. Paul says. I wrestle myself. And so this is good for us because, you know, one of the things I think might happen is if you're not careful, you'll feel hopeless in the text. But he's going to diagnose us today, but he's also going to give us the solution. So just for context purposes, we we read 7 to 25. I'm not going to deal that much with 7 to 13. The reason I'm not is because if I'm honest with you, Paul is talking about the law. It's similar to what we talked about last week. I remember last week when he said we are dead to the law. And so it's similar to what we talked about last week. So I'm not going to deal much with 7 to 13. In fact, not only that, but he, 7 to 13 talks about pre-salvation. He uses words in 7 to 13 like sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me. I was already deceived. 
And then, then he says, and it killed me. I was already killed. In other words, Paul in 7 to 13 talks about pre-salvation, but in verses 14 to 25, he talks about a current wrestle. How do I know that? Because at the end of it, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, not that I was. That I cur- okay, y'all. See, this is why you can't be so deep today, but you got to sit in the wrestle that you have because Paul is saying here today that I too wrestle. And so we'll, we'll spend most of our time in verses 14 to 25. Why don't you pick me up so we can look at the wrestle because it doesn't take him long. Look at verse 14. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. It doesn't take Paul long to identify what the issue is. The problem is not the law because Paul says that the law is spiritual. And that's what we do. We blame the law. You know, y'all know we're not good at rules anyway. Complete this for me. Laws are made or rules are made to be what? See, y'all know deep inside of all of us, we know we rebel against the law, but the law is not the issue. Paul just said it's spiritual. If you look at verse 12, he said it's good. He said it's the commandments of the Lord is holy. So the problem is not the law. The problem is your flesh. The problem is your inability to keep the law. And Paul, it doesn't take him long to get there. He does not dwell on the weakness of our flesh in order to discourage us. But Paul exposes the weakness of our flesh so that you know what the real issue is. You the real issue. I'm the real issue. The issue is not God's commandments. They're holy. Even David says it. He says your commandments are like honey on my lips. He did not talk bad about the law. The problem is our flesh. And so ultimately, Paul is saying your flesh is in contradiction to the will of God. Okay, let me, let me say that again. Your flesh is in contradiction to the will of God. Your flesh, your, your human nature will always rebel against you. And he doesn't just express that in verse 14. But if you jump down to verse 18, he expresses it there too. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. Your flesh will deceive you. Every time your flesh, see, that's what we do. We think that we can put ourselves in certain atmospheres and that in those atmospheres will only go. But so far, but how many know that don't work? The reason it don't work is because of your flesh. The reason it doesn't work is because your flesh has the ability to take you out of here. I had a friend when he first got married. He said to me, he said, you know, uh, when, when, I, uh, when I get married, I'll never be unfaithful to my wife only to find out less than a year later. You never can say never when you live in the flesh. When you live in the flesh, there's always opportunities around you. And the problem is we don't have enough discipline over our flesh because your flesh is weak. Do you know what lives in your flesh? Do you know what? See, last week you rejoiced. You said, preach, Pastor B, when I went to Galatians chapter 5 and I said, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long suffering, patience, uh, self-control. And you were like, yes, yes, yeah, but... You know, proceeding to those verses is the deeds of the flesh. What, what, what are the deeds of the flesh? I got a list for you today. Here's the deeds of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21 says that the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And that the list was so long, Paul ran out. This is how trifling we really are. Paul ran out of stuff to say, and he ends it by saying, and things like these. In other words, it's so much going on in you. I don't got the time nor the ink in the pen to write all of it. So therefore, I'm going to just say, And things like these. That is what dwells in your flesh. 
You can try to sanctify your flesh if you want to. I love the way Bishop Kenneth Moles will say it. He says, you're not going to do nothing with your flesh, but make it behave. Paul says, I beat my flesh to make it behave. And the things that the law requires, Paul is not able to do. But not only is Paul not able to do it, but you're not able to do it. Why do we think we're more spiritual than Paul? Like, like under, understand something. Thank you for the answer. I understand something. This is Paul that wrote Romans chapter 7. Paul, the one that planted healthy churches. Paul, the one that, that says things like to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul, the, the, the most, uh, one, one of the most prominent leaders in the early church. Not only that, but Paul that discipled other leaders. Paul that wrote 75% of the New Testament. That Paul still wrestled. And if Paul wrestled, why do you think you can overcome it without the spirit? If Paul wrestled, why do you not be honest about your wrestle? Why do you come in with the church face on? Listen, whenever people tell me about their wrestle, I'm never like, dang, that's messed up. I'm always like, that's it? And the reason I'm not excusing sin, the reason I'm like that is because I'm always thinking worse than that. And I'm always thinking worse than that because I know that we wrestle. And I know that there's real issues. And so Paul says here, he says that the problem isn't the, 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 the law is spiritual. The problem is your flesh. And don't ever let people's external spirituality makes you think that they've overcome their flesh. They didn't. You, you just don't know what they're going through. They, they look spiritual to you. But I, I honestly, I, I've gotten to the point in my life where I don't care how much scripture you quote. My, I want to know how much scripture do you apply? Because we can quote scripture all day. You, we, we, can play, you, we can play text tennis. Y'all ever seen text tennis? Where you be like Hebrews chapter 13. And somebody hit back to you Romans chapter 4. And you're just going back and forth for scriptures. We can play tic, uh, uh, text tennis all day. But at the end of the day, what part of the scriptures are you applying? Yeah. And so in the scriptures today, he's saying, listen, um, don't be impressed by external adorning at the end of the day Paul is like listen the issue is your flesh and I have the same issue I lack willpower I lack the ability to carry out the things that God has told me to do so why why, why is our problem the flesh well, what, what is the issue why, why is the flesh not redeemed and why is the flesh not sanctified I, I love Paul because he he lists out a, a phrase there's a melodic line he uses the same phrase in verse 17 and in verse 20 look at what he says so now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. Okay, go to verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, I no longer, uh, it says I'm no longer the one that does it, but it is sin living in me. Twice he says sin living in me. At the end of the day, the reason why your flesh is so messed up is because your flesh is sin's sanctuary. You're, you're, in fact, the New Testament is written in a language called Greek, and, and, and this word flesh in the Greek is sarx. It's S-A-R-X. You should write that down. Google it when you get home. S-A-R-X does not just mean your flesh as in your physical body, but it means your emotions, your thought process, your, your desires. See, you think you're not a sinner because you didn't act on it, but you let your thoughts roam. And Paul says, that's the weakness of your flesh. Your flesh, your flesh will mess you up. And it is not just behavioral modification that you need. What you need is a heart change. 
You need a heart change. And so Paul says, listen, sarks, your flesh will mess you up. Many of us are, are, are like Joni uh, 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 Erickson that is sitting on the cart, on the hospital cart, and your mind is telling you to cover up yourself. R. Kelly says, my mind's telling me no, but my body's te- not too soon. Okay, don't quote him. Okay, I got it. I, I, at, the end, at the end of the day, what the quote was going to be was, your mind tells you one thing, but your body does another. Sorry to all the Chicago is. We can't quote him anymore. Your mind will have you thinking that you are a spiritual schizophrenic. Anybody ever felt like that? In your mind, you were like, I ain't ever going to do that. But the body said, whoop, and did it. Because that, that's the way it works. And Paul is in exempt from it. Paul is like, listen, I wrestle with the same thing. And the reason I wrestle with the same thing is because twice, sin lives in me. Sin lives in me. It is in my flesh where the sin dwells. And so Paul is like, listen, you got issues and the issue is you're weak. See, we think we're so strong, but I tell you every week, you're not strong enough to beat sin. You're not strong enough to beat your flesh. Your flesh will overtake you. I, I, was, I was privileged a few years ago to go to Israel. And when I was in Israel, the, the trip kind of was divided up in two parts. Part one was a, the, a political trip. So we went and met with their elected officials and we met with uh, journalists and uh, it, it, was a, it was a great time. It was long meetings. But the other part was to visit the religious sites. One of the religious sites that I visited was the Garden of Gethsemane. Anybody ever heard of that before? Garden of Gethsemane is where Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. The Garden of Gethsemane is, is where uh, Jesus says, uh, not my will, but your will be done. It is in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed until his sweat became like drops of blood. But do you know that Jesus didn't pray alone? The boys were there. And there, there's, there's a story tucked away in Matthew 26 where Jesus leaves the boys on one side of the Garden of Gethsemane and he goes to the other side. And when he goes to the other side, he tells them to pray. Y'all know the story. When he comes back in verse 40, Matthew 26, he comes to them and they're what? They're sleeping. And so Jesus is like, listen, can you not stay up for one hour? Stay up and pray. I'm going to go back. And Jesus goes back. And when he goes back, he begins to pray again. And he comes back to the boys. This is verse 42. And they're asleep. He says, okay, third time is a charm. I, I know they all knuckleheads. And so therefore, I'm going to give them one more chance. He goes away and he prays again. And verse 45 says that he comes back to them and they're asleep. And Jesus says something. That is so consistent with our text today. He says, the spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. See, that's the problem. The problem is that you think that you can control the sin, but at the end of the day, they'll control you. And the reason it controls you is because we have a weak flesh. And so Paul, he lists out all of this wrestle and he's given us the tension. And finally, he says in verse number 24, oh, wretched man that I am. See, Paul realized that the closer he got to Jesus, the more he was exposed to his wretchedness, which means the more you walk with Jesus, the more you should repent, because the more you walk with Jesus, you realize how far you are. You realize how you don't actually line up with perfection. You line up with your trifling neighbor. You better than them, but you're not even close to Jesus. And so Paul says, what a wretched man. That I am, but he doesn't just make a statement. I'm going to get you guys out soon. I know it's hot. He doesn't just make a statement in verse 24. He also asks a question. And the question that he asks is a powerful question. Look at what he says in verse 24. 
What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Paul realized that to escape the issues of his flesh, it does not mean that I can work harder to overcome the flesh. He says, I need to be rescued. He realizes that he's a damsel in distress and the only way he can overcome sin is by being rescued. And this is why I'm confused when, you know, when when we sit in worship and, you know, there was a moment where Joseph said, man, just take a moment to to worship quietly. And we we just sit and we're in a nice posture. But when, you know, the old saints would say, when I think about the goodness of Jesus, you think long enough and you realize that you were rescued from the wrath of God. You realize that you were rescued from your dysfunction. You realize that you were you were an enemy of God, but now you are a child of God because Jesus Christ has done the work for you. That should make you worship. I know you're, you meditate and I, I don't I don't do a lot. You know, it's too hot, but you, hell is hotter. And when I realized that Jesus swooped down and rescued me from hell, I, I don't know about you, but I, when I know that I'm rescued, it makes me worship. Yeah. Because worshipers know that they were rescued. Yeah. And they didn't rescue themselves. Paul says, Who can, who's going to rescue me? Well, what a question he asked. He says, I'm wretched. I've already listed out my wrestle. Who is going to rescue me from this body of death? But I love it because verse 24, he gives the question. In verse 25, he gives the answer. See, all sermon long, you've been hopeless. All, all sermon long, you've been like, oh, I'm wretched. I hear you. You know, you, you're right. Every week I come and I hear that I'm messed up, that I, I, I desire to do good, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. And so who, who is going to rescue me? What is the answer to Paul's question? Here's the answer. Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the answer to your flesh problem. Yes, he, yes, he's the answer eternally, but he's, he can also help you overcome the sin that you're in right now. Because Jesus is a mighty rescuer. Amen. Jesus is a mighty deliverer. Yeah. Jesus is able to pick you up all out of that sin that you in, the muck and the mire that you in. Jesus is the one that's able. Because, you know, one thing about Jesus is before you even fail, he already had a plan in motion. Yeah. Okay, let me mess you up. Before you were born... The plan was already set in motion. So when you fail, he like, my, I got blood already to, to cover that. But before you even messed up, and that doesn't, that doesn't a license to go do whatever you want. That shouldn't make you worship because Jesus says the plan that I gave you to, to rescue you was already set in motion. What wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? He, 25. Jesus is going to deliver you. And I don't, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what disposition you came in here with today. But I can tell you this, to overcome that sin, you have to look to the cross. I woke up this morning. I, I, y'all ever heard this, this hymn, At the Cross, At the Cross? Where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. It is the cross and the cross alone that is able to save you from your flesh. And I, I don't, I just, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't want to play with this moment. Some of you in here are stuck submitting to your flesh. You, you are like, and, and that's the crazy part is you got your church face on today. You look nice. You came out in a hundred degree weather. You spiritual. You came out ready. You wanted to worship Jesus, but here's the reality. The flesh is in contradiction. The flesh has been pulling you back. Who is it in this room that knows that you're that person that is saying, oh, wretched man that I am, you're in it right now. Because all of us have had to say it at one point. Who is it in here 
that you know you came here today and you know that there is a contradiction between what we see on Sundays and what you do on Mondays. There's a, there's a divide between you walking with Jesus and then you living in carnality the rest of the week. There's a divide. Who is that person? Every head bowed and every eye closed. You can gain liberty today. You can be set free today. It is the cross where you can receive not just salvation, but it is the cross where you can receive redemption today. You can overcome today. Who is that person? Here's what I, how I want to end our time. It's hot. We ain't got a lot of time. If, if that's you, if you know that there's a contradiction and there's a divide in you, and that you submit it more to the flesh than you have to verse 25, Jesus Christ. Can you do me a favor? Can you raise your hand? We're not like if you know that you've been playing with God. Listen, God is a jealous God. He he don't he don't do well with other gods. He he doesn't do well with you have another God over your heart. That's what our flesh has become. We've submitted to it and it's become Lord. See those hands. See those hands. Even if you're serving, I see those hands. If you know today is the day that you want to walk away and overcome sin. Do me a favor. If your hand is up, we don't have a lot of time. Please just run down to the altar. Can you come down here? I simply want to pray with you today. If you know that that wrestle is you, come down. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your boldness. I see families coming. I see singles coming. I see those that were serving got off their posts to come down to the altar. Can you come down? Y'all move on in. That's you. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who would deliver me from this body of flesh? Answer, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for everybody on this altar today. We mean business today, Lord. Because we're tired. We're exhausted of the divide. We're exhausted of going through life and being divided in our affections. Many of, many of the people on this altar, I do not doubt, Lord, they love you. They desire you. They want you. But many of us are laying on that hospital bed where our mind is telling us one thing, but we're, we've gone down the path of sin. It's become greater and greater sin. It started out. It's not that big of a deal. And help every young man on here, on this altar, maybe you move them to a place of repentance. Maybe they're on this altar because they haven't honored that young lady. And they haven't honored her body. Maybe, maybe a young lady is on this altar because of the decisions that she's made, but she's not defined by them today. She can overcome. She can overcome. She can move past this moment. Today can be the day of transformation for everybody on this altar. And Father, you said that if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before my Father. So everybody that's come to this altar in the presence of the church, Father, I pray that you would lift them up and intercede for them today. And help them to realize they can overcome it. They don't have to submit to the flesh. They can move past it. They don't have to be in that relationship. They don't have to make that decision. They can move past it today. Father, would you instill in them discipline? 
instill in them a sense of discernment. If they don't know you, Father, the greatest rescue today is being rescued from the pit of hell. So if they don't know you, oh God, would you save them today? But my hunch is that there are people on this altar that do know you. And because they do know you, Father, I pray that you would give them a desire to walk with you. You never promised that we would be saved and not wrestle. You've given us grace when we fall and the Holy Spirit to keep us on track. So, Father, today, oh God, as we end our time today, I pray for each and every individual here. We do not take this moment lightly. We realize that this moment could change the trajectory of their life. So, Father, we take a moment, oh God, restore the relationships, restore the families, restore the brokenness, restore the dysfunction. Today, would you do it for your glory, not ours? And then I pray that every person on this altar would be able to walk away and help someone else that deals with the same thing. Build testimonies. We give you the glory, O oh God, realizing that you're the only one that can rescue us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Man, you may be seated. You may take your seat. Can we thank God for those that came to the altar?